Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. Joel Demby, Paralympian and former number one ranked Canadian wheelchair tennis player, returns to the show. When I first introduced Joel back in episode 15, he had recently retired from wheelchair tennis and was balancing a corporate communications career with becoming a media personality. Joel still works in corporate communications, but with increased responsibilities that include public relations. But that's not the only thing he's been up to. His media roles have also expanded to include a TED Talk, an ambassadorship with the Rick Hansen Foundation, Paralympic broadcast commentator for the CBC, and most recently, tech influencer. But it's that last role which has really been gaining steam. A passionate technophile, Joel is becoming a leading voice on how technology is revolutionizing life for people with disabilities. Joel Demby, welcome back. Uh, you're my first repeat guest ever. This is uh, this is new for me. I've never had anyone back on, so uh, I'm looking forward to chatting, sir. How have you been? I've been doing great, with all things considered, uh, given <laughs> given where we are in, in in the pandemic. Although I think we're a little bit more on the uh, the back end of it, at least I hope. But I'm doing well, man. It's it's so great to catch up with you, and I'm very honored to be a return guest here. This is this is awesome. For anyone that wants to hear uh, the first podcast we did together and Joel's whole story, where he went to school, where he was working initially, and then how he moved into becoming a, a carded athlete and represented Canada at what was the Pan Am Games? Was it the 2012 Paralympics? Micro- yeah, 2012 London. Paralympics. 2012 and, Paralympics. Yeah. The ones in London. You medaled at uh, the Pan Am Games, didn't you? Yeah, that was kind of my uh, my way to end my career. Uh, you know, it was... It, it's so funny, Vic, because, you know, I'm, I was I was listening to our, our, our last podcast. You know, that was number 15 for for anyone that wants to go back uh, in time um, to listen more about, you know, what I was going through as an athlete into, I guess, retirement. And, you know, here we are, you know, five, six you know years since I retired. And I, I got to be honest, I'm living a completely different life. Well, we want to talk about that because you were a media personality before as an athlete and now you're a retired athlete and it's it's kind of changed quite a bit for you hasn't it so we you're still working in the financial services sector correct because that's kind of where we left it off last time still very much in the financial services sector in a in a more of a public relations role which which I really enjoy um but in addition to that I've got a little bit more involved in the ad- advocacy side of things um, I'm a contributing writer to Abilities Magazine. That's that's Canada's biggest magazine for people with disabilities, uh, seniors. Although my aunt and others uh, have told me to say older, engaged adults rather than seniors, <laughs> um, and, and caregivers. And uh, so I do a little bit of writing there. I'm also a Rick Hansen Foundation ambassador, and uh, it's uh, there, there's no shortage of things that I that I get to work on and and great people I get to work with. Well, how did you get pulled into those things? Because when we were speaking, like in, in our last uh, podcast that we did together, those things weren't present. It was literally you talking about how you wound down your career. You, I mean, I think we actually started the podcast by saying that you were, I think you were what, 33 at the time? Yeah, uh, 30, even earlier, actually. Yeah. 32 would, in your been, Yeah, exactly. And we were talking about how weird it was to have the word retired next to your name, how there was something that you had literally dedicated your life to. And then it just kind of comes to an end because that's what happens with an athlete is, is that it, it's not something that goes on to 65. It's something that you 
you kind of have to recognize when you're in your prime and start sunsetting it there. How did you get pulled into these other things? Let's start first with advocacy and the Rick Hansen Foundation, because when we last spoke, you weren't part of the foundation as an ambassador. So how did that come about? Right after I retired, I, I bounced around. I did a number of things. I, I you know, was a Tennis Canada ambassador, so I was sort of advocating for, for tennis and the growth of community tennis and that tennis can be played by all. And I did a number of media appearances doing, doing that and, and, and blogging and running courses for, for prospective wheelchair athletes and uh, got my coaching certification. But then I actually came across um, uh, the, the TED movement. I don't know. I, I guess I shouldn't call it a movement. It's, it's, it's being a TED speaker. And um, I thought it would be a great challenge uh, coming out of being a Paralympian to kind of talk about something that wasn't so focused on being an athlete, which was really disability inclusion. Um, you know, when I, when, when I gave my TED talk, that was the TEDx Mississauga, that was just a few months after we recorded the podcast together. So it was a huge challenge, but it kind of threw me into this whole movement around accessibility, um, for people with disabilities. And obviously when, when we help people with disabilities, we really help everyone when we make things more accessible. And that's when I joined the Rick Hansen foundation and have, um, you know, delivered a lot of, <laughs> a lot of advocacy, uh, talks, uh, but of course not right now, just because we're all in this virtual environment, but I've, I've, I've really been struck by some of the things I just didn't realize related to disability. Um, you know, for example, you know, most people don't really understand what accessibility or, you know, what is an invisible disability and, and that most disabilities are hidden. And so I, I got caught up in this movement and met new people. And in a way, um, it's led to my own personal growth as well. And it's something that is so nice when you have a chance to give back as well. Let's talk first about that TED Talk. I mean, TED Talks are a global phenomenon. I mean, they're national, they're international, and they're local. And you mentioned you uh, did a TED Talk at TED Mississauga. So how did you go about doing it? Like, did you approach them about it? The idea that you had for it, did you have to work on it much? Or was that, uh, was your kind of the topic you covered, was it lingering at the front or the back of your mind for a very long time? And you just kind of put the pieces together and said, okay, now I've got an opportunity to organize my thoughts and really get it out there to the masses. Believe it or not, it was my aunt, uh, Aunt Elaine, that encouraged me to do the TED Talk. Because Is she, Aunt Elaine uh, also the same one <laughs> asking you to not call them old people? That's, that might. Or, or is it uh, seniors? <laughs> That, that might be among the people that have asked uh, me not to use the word seniors anymore. Um, seniors, that's but, it. Sorry, I'm messing it up by calling seniors, it old people. Seniors, yes. <laughs> but um, my aunt, uh, actually, she's, a, she's an author, chiropractor. She um, has done motivational speaking uh, basically since the early 90s. And she did her TED Talk, and she encouraged me to apply to a local one. And at the time, I was actually living in Mississauga. So she kind of pushed me to apply. And then... Of course, I didn't have a topic, Vic. Like that was the, I, you know, you apply, you meet the organizers, you pitch them an idea, and then you go through this course. And what's so different about delivering a TED Talk, and this was actually for my own benefit as, as a communicator and someone who's, you know, sometimes, you know, delivering public speaking events and, and maybe is on a TV show or this podcast, is the TED Talk is rehearsed, meaning you memorize what you're saying. And at least that was, you know, reading the, the literally the, the guide for TED is what you say has to be teachable. It has to be efficient. You're not rambling. You're it's very much, uh, you know, 
something you memorize. So it's almost like it's, it's, it's like you're an actor in so many ways. So it was an, it was an insane personal challenge for me to memorize 13, uh, 13 minutes or, you know, it might've even been longer than that uh, content. And, um, but I wanted to, I, I realized at the time, cause I had just joined the Rick Hansen foundation and, um, you know, the idea of symbols and, and the idea of how we view people with disabilities simply needs to change and, and definitely change even in our backyard right here in Canada. When you went to audition for Ted, then like, I just want to hang on that point for a little bit. You didn't yeah. have your idea. You didn't even have it fleshed out. I would say you just kind of had like a top line idea. So you didn't go in and deliver the speech from the top. I, I kind of knew where I was going to go and, and I'll take you back to, to the moment. I kind of thought about it. Quite frankly, Vic, in the media, how we how we view disability, how it's portrayed. I mean, you don't need to look very far is that when it is covered, when disability is is covered in the news, it's because of tragedy. You know, you you and I both remember the Humboldt Broncos um, yeah. bus accident and the narrative. And don't get me wrong, a very one of the most uh, tragic moments in, in Canadian hockey history and and just kind of brought us all together. But what I was seeing was, was were the media is focusing on victims. And sure, there's you know the outliers that show that you know the 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 pivot and and how you can improve. But it was the same story. I've seen that story so many times. I and I think that's when <laughs> uh, a lot of my other friends and colleagues and and people that I work with that have disabilities, you know, we're not your inspiration. And it's tough to say that because, you know, here I am a technically a motivational speaker. And literally since I've been a kid, I've been called inspiring. And of course I have. That's what the media thinks someone with a disability or a Paralympian is inspirational. And I can't disagree with them, but it it starts to develop a trap, meaning you're either an inspiration or you're nothing. So which is it? It's interesting you point that out because one of my uh, favorite race car drivers, Alex Zanardi, a two-time IndyCar champion, uh, former Formula One driver, he lost both of his legs. I'm sure someone will Google this while they're listening to it in a violent IndyCar crash in Germany in 2001. And he almost died, lost a lot of blood. Thankfully, they were able they were able to save him. But there was there was that kind of narrative about him. It's like, you know, poor Alex, he's a victim. And then what he did was he actually reinvented himself and he comp- he competed as a Paralympian. As a matter of fact, he you, you might have seen him in the Olympic Village without even realizing it was him. And he became a a hand cyclist. And he continued his racing career using hand controls as well. And he went on to medal a number of times at the Paralympics. He's definitely got a couple of gold medals. I think at least one silver and bronze to his name. And he's still been he had a separate accident this summer in a hand cycling uh, a hand cycling competition in Italy, which. I don't want to digress and go into, but you're totally right. Everyone looked at it as poor Alex until all of a sudden he took up hand cycling and really started to win local competitions and was on route to the Paralympics. It, and, and, you know, I, I remember Alex at the Olympic village in, in London, actually, which is, which is funny because we all knew him. I mean, out of you either, when, when you were talking about the London 2012 Paralympians, and by the way, you know, you can go back to episode 15 to sort of get my thoughts on, on competing there. It was a wonderful experience and we were treated so well. But if you were an athlete, the two people that everyone knew who the Paralympians were, it was one, Alex Zanardi. We all knew about his accident. We knew he was inspiring to us. I should say that he was, and I, here I am talking about how we're not all of us are inspired. No, he was inspirational. And of course the other was Oscar Pistorius. 
And we all know what happened to uh, Oscar. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. I think there's an HBO documentary about that. Yeah, or, yeah actually, I think it's on Amazon uh, HBO. Tune or, in, and, uh, but that's for another day. How about that? <laughs> let's not digress on that one. So you delivered the TED Talk. What comes out of it after? Like, do people start approaching you and going, hey, what you said resonated with me? Maybe not necessarily resonated with me, but I knew someone it might resonate with, or we need you to speak in front of these people. Or did you proactively say, okay, I took this opportunity because I imagine that the TED Talk was probably on video. Yes, it's actually, you can actually check it out on YouTube if you just type in my name and then TED. And actually, a lot of people around the world had a chance to see it and message me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not, it's not millions of views or anything like that. But it did tap into, um, you know, the notion that, yeah, we do need to kind of change this conversation around disability. And at the time, I was, you know, talking about sport and building accessibility in business, meaning the more businesses that are, you know, presumably accessible, the more business that that business will receive from um, people with disabilities as well. But um, what really actually happened more so was personal growth. Um, I pivoted not only in terms of advocacy, joining the Rick Hansen Foundation and getting a little bit more into writing, but it kind of segued into my professional career, getting involved in the PR scene and tapping into media and understanding the financial service sector and preparing executives for speeches and, and, and writing content. And, um, and, and, and so I actually feel more confident being on your show now because of all of those things that I've learned uh, since that TED Talk. It was really my way to say, oh, I have a unique voice. Um, why don't I lean into it? And not, not everyone has, um, uh, you know, the confidence to do this. It's not easy, but um, public speaking now has become um, such a natural thing. And I think the more you do it and, and after doing the TED talk, I, I, I never got nervous again in front, of, in, front of a, in front of an audience, but it did connect me to a global community of advocacy around people with disabilities. What surprised me about uh, what you said about the TED Talk was, is that you had to memorize it. I had no idea. I, I thought there was like that kind of transparent teleprompter that you see politicians use. But no, you had to you had to memorize it. Uh, if, if you know me, that's that's really difficult. I remember our days at Brockvik and, uh, you know, the, the idea of memorizing. I turned everything into an acronym <laughs> to memorize it. Yeah, and, I would do that, too. <laughs> and we both did. We both did. But at a TED Talk is. You're not only saying you're writing, you're writing it. So you're writing a story. You're writing a story in a way that draws the audience in. And then, you know, you have to obviously memorize all these lines. But I was so worried about making a mistake or forgetting my lines. I'm so used to honestly just having some key, you know, key messages, notes when I go in on a stage or in front of an audience. And, and that's not what I did with Ted and actually it really, uh, you know, is an amazing, it really did help refine my presentation skills. Do you get a chance then to deliver that talk or a variation of that talk subsequently after the TED talk? Here's, here's the secret. I've never seen the TED talk. I saw, sorry, I lied. I've seen it once. I saw it the next day after I delivered it. And then I've never delivered that talk. I've delivered really? variations of, of some of the things that I've said, but time's moved on. And um, I, I, I focused much of my uh, speech on when I was an athlete and my experiences. And here I am now, um, someone with a disability working in, in corporate Canada, which is, still has a long way to go to include people with disabilities. I mean, you only need to look at the unemployment rate here in Canada 
and, and the United States as well. Um, we're talking 40% unemployment rate for people who, who have a disability. Um, it's, it's pretty nuts. And it kind of goes back to the feeling in, in some ways that you have growing up as a kid, being the only you know, kid in your school, and you can <laughs> hear about it in the TED Talk. You know, and, and you know, I, was, I was always the only person in a wheelchair where I grew up. And now, in so many ways, it's, I'm kind of back, um, back to that place again, except now I have a voice. And I know it's powerful. And I can use it. And I'm not afraid to use it. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where things have come full circle. And I really have um, that TED talk and that, you know, obviously everything I learned through sport to, um, to thank for that. Well, you definitely got the attention of a number of people. We're, we're going to go into that in a second. Uh, the first one I wanted to ask you is, how did you get the attention of uh, former CBC uh, news anchor Peter Mansbridge? I started listening to um, Peter Mansbridge. Um, actually more in his podcast than I ever did uh, when we were at Brock or, um, you know, I, I would tune in every, every so often to his show on the national, but, um, but we're talking about such a voice of authority and, and, you know, he's always going to be mixed up in, in Canadiana when it comes to, um, you know, newscasters and whatnot and uh, loved his podcast. I actually really like his communication style, the art of the pause, how he pauses on a point he wants to make. Yes. Something that I should, something that you and I, and most, most assuredly me, I have to, I have to learn how to do that and, and breathe. But, um, but I decided uh, to write him on his show because every Friday, Peter solicits um, listener questions. And what he asked his audience to do was to um, write him a letter on things we can do to make Canada even better. And one of the things that I, thought about because some of the great things that have happened in our country since our last podcast is now there's a national accessibility law um, actually created by Carla Qualtro, a former Paralympian. So Paralympians aren't necessarily one trick ponies. You know, we can do all sorts of things, but um, you know, the first accessibility law in our, in our country, that's going to hopefully provide so many more opportunities for, 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 for us to get more involved in, in society. Um, you know, United States, for example, has had one, had the Americans with Disabilities Act since 1990. So all this to say is I wrote Peter Mansbridge on his show, The Bridge Daily. You can, you can find it on your podcast uh, app. And um, he read it out loud. And what a thrill it is to hear the voice of Peter Mansbridge. And he's reading your letter and uh, shared it with my colleagues and friends and family. And it was, uh, it was a thrill and it actually inspired me to write more. Uh, and I think Peter identified that, you know, maybe, you know, my unique voice um, can be used in, in other places as well, not just obviously on his show. Do you get a note from Peter Mansbridge or at least his people to say, hey, thanks for your letter. We're going to be reading it out in this episode. I sent him a letter, had no idea if he received it or whomever was checking his emails. And I go down, I, I, I'm an early riser. So I, uh, I, I, you know, I was making some coffee and listening to the bridge daily on a Saturday morning, the Friday show is when he um, reads listener questions and the second or third question, he announces my name and he almost, uh, I thought he wasn't going to pronounce that last name correctly because my, I didn't give him any pronunciation details. Some people, well, definitely my, my, my Quebec friends, uh, they say Dembe, but he, no, he said it right. He said Demby and he paused when he said it and then he read, read the letter and it was, uh, 
it was a thrill. It was, it was, uh, I still, uh, I still laugh and, you know, grin about it at the very least uh, every so often. Did that lead to further media opportunities or like, I guess, reactive media opportunities, or were you able to kind of use that bid with Peter Mansbridge? And when you reached out to people for speaking opportunities and say, Hey, you know what? Here's some of the work I've done. Here's my Ted talk video, by the way, here's the time that, uh, Peter Mansbridge featured my letter on his podcast. <laughs> were you able to leverage that into anything? I, I, again, I leveraged it on my own. I had already, every so often, I actually would appear on AMI. So that's accessible media in Canada. It's a, it's a station that you can find on, uh, you know, I think on the big three here in Canada, um, you know, you can find it, but it's actually programming for deaf or hard of hearing primarily. And it's, 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 they, they feature content from people with disabilities across Canada and um, I've, I've appeared on that, on, on those shows a number of times, but also did quite a bit of CBC work. I covered, we didn't even get to this, but I covered the 2018 Paralympics for CBC Sports also after our last podcast. And oh. so I'd already done stuff in the media, but I didn't, um, I didn't think I would talk about disability issues. And that's the difference because normally when I'm on a show, I'm talking about tennis, <laughs> sport, Paralympics. Now I'm getting a little bit more involved in policy and technology and, um, you know, how we build products for people with disabilities. And I started realizing I benefited almost my entire life on products that were more accessible, more inclusive. And by the way, that includes my tennis chair and the racket technology that allowed me to play the sport. Yes, you need, you need ability, you need athletic ability, but you really need technology to go hand in hand with that. How much different was the chair you used for wheelchair tennis from the time you started playing to the time you retired? First of all, when I first started playing wheelchair tennis, I didn't have a specific chair for tennis. It was my everyday chair. And it's, you know, ask any wheelchair athlete, you just can't play in your everyday wheelchair. It's built for comfort and the wheels aren't cambered. And what I mean by that is it's not you know, sloped outward mm. or angled outward. And, um, but the chairs got lighter. The tires got lighter, the, 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 the racket technology and the athletic ability of the participants in the sport kept getting better and better and better. It's, it's not like the game changed much, much, it, you know, two bounce rule. That's, that's this big difference. The difference was when I entered the sport, the players, um, you know, have you ever watched, uh, an, uh, uh, like an old John McEnroe or, uh, even Andre Agassi match. And then you watch the guys today or girls, you watch Serena Williams hit the ball, you know, today, and then you go back and look at Monica Seles, or you go even further to Martina Navratilova. The game is just different because we understand how to look after our bodies different. So that really is the, the massive change. But of course, the wheelchairs started using titanium, then carbon fiber, um, got lighter, sleeker, more custom, more expensive. <laughs> so, um, so in some ways, you know, money got involved, uh, you know, the more money you were given, the more money you could throw back into your, your body, into your product, your wheelchair, uh, everything. Actually, I've got a really quick question about that. Now that we're talking about wheelchair tennis equipment, uh, is there a specific racket that wheelchair tennis players use, or is it just basically the universal racket that all players use? The racket's the one thing that's, uh, that's not changed. Although for, we actually have two separate divisions, obviously. We have a, obviously the men's and women's divisions uh, open. So there's, there's 
men's open, which is the one I was in, and then there's women's open, but there's also a division for quadriplegic uh, wheelchair tennis players. And what they have to do is they actually have to strap the racket to their hand because you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a quadriplegic, you're, you have some form of impairment in your hands or your, your arms, which is why there's a specific division for quad wheelchair tennis. So for them, they would probably want maybe a, a smaller grip handle or, um, you know, something to allow it to be a little easier to grip with, with, with tape, put it that way. You talked a little bit about how, how technology is improving the life of individuals with accessibility needs. And that's kind of like where your voice has fallen with Abilities Magazine. Talk us through some of the stuff that you've been writing about in terms of accessibility and tech uh, with the publication. So I, I got involved in Abilities. That was probably the first advocacy group that I got involved with, the Canadian Abilities Foundation, which publishes Abilities Magazine. And um, I would write about accessibility more, in, in a lot of ways, more around oh, can I go on this cruise ship? Can I get in this hotel? Can I go into this store? Is this experience accessible? But what's happened is my understanding and our collective understanding of accessibility has changed. Accessibility nowadays um, encompasses a broader uh, spectrum of disability. And what I mean by that is um, accessibility also means digital accessibility. Can I use this app? When we're chatting over Skype, is there closed captioning for someone who um, you know, has a visual impairment? Is, 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 there, is there some form of access that the app will require for someone with a disability? And if they can't access it, meaning there's no tool, there's no workaround, then it's not accessible and it's most assuredly not usable for, for them. So um, I've learned uh, through actually you know, just getting involved in this advocacy movement around disability inclusion here in Canada, but also learning from colleagues and and friends about um, where accessibility is going. And it really started because of that TED talk. I, I just learned so much more about accessibility. And, you know, I started realizing almost every single piece of technology touches accessibility in actually more um, more ways than let's say a building. <laughs> it's it's there's so many things and 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 that you have to think about to make a product accessible um, digitally, and that led to you know me learning about the Apple Watch and learning about other uh, accessible products. And this year I went to the Consumer Electronics Show to to cover it, and I talked with a number of great uh, people and and learned about all the all the great accessible technology on the way. So when we were talking a couple of weeks ago and we were we were setting up uh, this episode, one thing you said that really resonated with me was, is that advancements for the accessibility community had to be more than just a ramp. It had to be more than just getting into a house or a hotel or anything like that. From your experiences at CES, or even your own experiences as a consumer, take us through some of some of the gadgets that are, I mean, improving your lifestyle and, and making it easier for you to work. Well, here's the interesting thing is accessibility is a moving line. What is What was accessible in 1999 or 2002 um, might not be accessible today. And that's because technology has changed. Um, the world has changed. We, you know, we now understand neurodiversity a little bit better that everyone's unique and everyone has 
in, in, in so many ways, different abilities, but how do you build a product that touches as many of those people as possible? And what, you know, you, when you, when you look back to, you know, the Peloton, you know, I was kind of, um, uh, not upset, but I was, I was like, why can't they build a Peloton for someone in a wheelchair, just using it like an ergometer, for example. And I actually reached out to uh, the folks at Peloton because I wanted to explore that idea. But then a friend of mine um, actually started telling me about the Apple Watch. And I, here's the thing, the Apple Watch isn't new. Uh, it's been around for you know, four, four years or so. But he told me about this thing that you could do on it, uh, toggling the wheelchair mode. So I got an Apple Watch this past summer because in all honesty, I was feeling lethargic. I wasn't moving nearly as much, um, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't probably that much different from everyone else, but for me, not moving or not being motivated or being physically active uh, was so against everything I've done <laughs> throughout my life. And um, I got the Apple Watch and I started getting hourly reminders to roll my wheelchair. And that started everything. I started getting back involved in in and doing more uh, distance wheeling, uh, getting setting up my garage. Um, I have an old hand cycle. It's it's basically a bike for someone in a wheelchair that you operate with your arms. And I just put it on a on a a standstill bike or a bike stand, and I can kind of just turn it into an ergometer, and obviously tether it to my Apple Watch, track what I'm doing. But what I love about the Apple Watch is that I can actually compete against my able-bodied friends. You know, a lot of my coworkers have Apple Watches and we try to motivate, motivate each other. And it is kind of creepy sometimes when you can, when you can kind of see if someone's done a workout or not. So I think some people, uh, some people like to mute uh, me occasionally if I badger them about not working out, but, <laughs> um, but that's okay. But what it really did was the product's not different really for me. It looks the same to everyone else, but it's tracking different data. It's tracking my push, my pushes instead of steps. And that opened the door. I started realizing, wait a minute. Okay. Let's see. There's an Apple watch. What else is there? What? And so I started um, talking with a few of my friends that are more involved in digital accessibility who are, who are gadget, you know, geeks even more so than, than I am. And we actually started talking a little bit about all the cool things Microsoft's doing with their adaptive controller. I'm not a I'm not a Microsoft gamer, uh, at least not right now. But this this controller that um, that they built basically can be operated with one arm, can be manipulated in different ways, and it can be used by someone who might not be able to use their hands uh, like you or I and operate a, a, a gaming controller. And Microsoft's kind of been leading the way on that. And I, I actually delivered a talk to Microsoft a few years ago uh, through the Rick Hansen Foundation. And I actually learned a lot about Satya Nadella and you know, he has a child with a disability. So of course, Microsoft's mandate is going to you know, ensure that their products are playable everywhere, are, are, are able to be used by someone with a disability. And I think when, it, when that type of inclusion starts at the very top, you know, there's no telling where we can go. And so I guess all this to say is I'll, I'll give you a few, uh, few of my favorite uh, gadgets and we'll do a, we'll do a bit of a, a lockdown edition here. Cause we're all kind of um, <laughs> at home it. right now. And I've, you know, I, I'm very worried about the state of uh, you know, how, how people with disabilities are moving, especially the ones 
with physical disabilities living in um, colder, more lockdown environments here in Canada. You know, I'm in Hamilton and, uh, and, and, and certainly when it gets to lower, you know, I guess double digits, um, that's the time that I would prefer to stay indoors. And one of the things that I've actually been starting to use is this Apple uh, Fitness Plus uh, service which and, and is basically like the modern version of those Jane Fonda workout videos. I remember, remember those. those. Oh God, I remember those. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> well, this, this, this one's uh, pretty cool because you can tether your Apple Watch and track your movements on screen. And whether you're just new to fitness or you know, you're, you're, you're a veteran, uh, you can actually get motivated and be in this virtual gym um, using these downloadable videos that are kind of used on your either your Apple TV or your iPad or and and com combined with the Apple Watch, it's really cool. Um, the other thing I've been trying out is um, I, I got my hands on the Oculus Quest Two. Um, that's a VR unit, and I was actually really interesting interested in um, what VR could do for someone with a disability. Could it replicate the experience of maybe from from a mental health standpoint? just going anywhere, uh, being in a tranquil environment. And most assuredly, you can do that. You can watch videos in forests and the North Pole, but you can also play really cool apps that get you moving while you're wearing the mask. Or sorry, not the mask, but uh, you'll, you, you should wear a mask no matter what, but, um, <laughs> but maybe not in your home when you're, when you're safe. Um, but when you're wearing the Oculus uh, Quest device, you can actually do live workouts using FitXR, uh, you can play this really cool music game called Beat Saber. And actually, there's this table tennis game. It's called Eleven uh, Table Tennis. And it it is unbelievable. It tracks almost every movement your arm and your hands make the same way as if it was real. So it got me thinking, wait a minute, can VR replicate my experiences as a wheelchair tennis athlete? And so I, I thought of a cool idea would be to tape myself uh, trying to compete using this device <laughs> with with able-bodied athletes and maybe maybe i can uh, beat them i still have to figure out how to set it up but um but and 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 the other thing that i and i want to touch on is is headspace i was skeptical uh, about headspace because i've actually never done meditation and headspace is this meditation app that i don't even know how to describe it but i know it's really helped me the ability to breathe every morning um, the ability to uh, follow along these guided tours into, I guess, uh, meditation. And um, so those are three ones that can be used by, quite honestly, everyone. Now, VR, I should say, um, isn't quite there for people with disabilities, but it's getting close. And, uh, you know, they're only probably an update or two uh, away from it being pretty inclusive. You can either have it track your entire house, so you could literally be in VR in your entire home, or you can have a, a seated version. So I kind of mix between the two uh, when I'm playing VR. And, uh, and all this to say is I'm playing with some pretty cool tech and it's accessible. And it's, and it's not what most people think is accessible. It's digitally accessible. And yet as a wheelchair user, I'm able to use it. And that's what I love. I, and I know not everyone can uh, you know, get a VR unit or get an Apple Watch, but eventually, all this stuff does filter down uh, to almost all aspects of consumer technology. And I think we're building a more inclusive future for people with disabilities, Beck.
One thing that you said to me when uh, when we were chatting a couple of weeks ago is you really appreciated the uh, you really appreciated working from home because it kind of changed the dynamic as to who you are um, with your work peers. Because correct me if I'm wrong, you said when you go into a meeting, you feel like people are looking at you like, okay, he's the guy in the wheelchair. But when you hop on, say, a Zoom call or a Skype call or a Teams call, you're just another guy on the monitor like everyone else. I joke to some of my, my, my friends, my colleagues that I'm now a box. I'm not, <laughs> I, you know, and, 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 and I should say that feeling that I sometimes get inside when um, I'm around new people and they, they're looking at me, but I, I know they're probably going, oh, he's in a wheelchair. And then, you know, they see me talk or they hear, sorry, they hear me talk or they see how I'm interacting with everyone. The wheelchair goes away but it's still the first thing they see. But now, of course, moving into this, you know, WebEx and uh, Zoom, uh, Skype environment that we're all living right now, um, I'm not, the wheelchair is not even seen. In fact, I'm in a comfy office chair in, 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 in a room in my home and, um, and I'm, I'm comfortable. I, I always had to juggle um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm no different than a lot of other uh, folks who have physical disabilities. It's, it's a full-time job sometimes just to take care of yourself. What I mean by that is physiotherapy, um, appointments, um, all of these things to make sure that you're operating at your physically best. And when I was not working from home, I didn't have enough time to dedicate to doing those things. But now I do. And, I, and while I, I would say that I, I struggled you know, just moving in the early part, earlier parts of the pandemic, I feel so much better now because I've prioritized my personal personal health and well-being um, because I have that time back now and I'm home and I can quickly go down in my bike between meetings and uh, if I'm feeling stressed or feeling anxious, I can, you know, hammer out a good workout and then feel great and I can hopefully eventually go back to my regular rehabilitation appointments that were always so important to me as an athlete and um, for some reason, I, I, I stopped prioritizing them when I, when I retired. Okay. So is it safe to call you an accessibility tech influencer? Because that really looks like that's where you've kind of found yourself now. It's interesting because I, I mean, I, I'm, I actually, how you and I, you know, got in touch. I was, I wanted to learn a little bit more about influencer marketing and I realized that, you know, and then I looked at some of the influencers, you know, here in North America. And I noticed that there weren't as many uh, of those influencers that had a disability. And I think where we are right now is being unique is pretty cool. Having a unique voice and, and, and doing all these things is great. But Vic, there are a lot more people with disabilities than we think there are. I mean, in Canada and the United States, there are 3 million people that use either a wheelchair or scooter or some type of mobility device to get around. You know, how, who, who's the influencer to those folks? I mean, I would argue in Canada, our first two influencers, um, you know, before the digital age that had a disability were Terry Fox and, and Rick Hansen. And so being a Rick Hansen ambassador, you're in essence, an influencer. Uh, you, you're influencing companies, people, groups, um, schools, students, principals to develop more accessible programs, products, uh, hiring programs, um, ways to give back. And I've realized that 
why can't we do that more digitally now? I do it in public. And so kind of leaning into that. So I'm gonna, I've, I've been writing a little bit more on my LinkedIn account. Um, I'm still learning Instagram. I gotta say, if I, I still could use some help <laughs> on my Instagram <laughs> front. And, uh, but no, I, I, uh, I'm a little bit late to this whole influencer thing, probably maybe 10 years late. So, um, so I, I want to see more, uh, influencers with disabilities. I think you're already in the influencer space. That's why I kind of say you accidentally fell into it because correct me if I'm wrong. There are some very major companies that a lot of people listening would recognize who have been in touch with you about just kind of getting your thoughts on things. Am I correct? That's, that's correct. And you know, I, I actually think businesses have a part to play. Um, not just for developing products that are accessible for folks like myself, folks that have invisible disabilities, but to possibly hire people with disabilities to, you know, contribute, um, not cast aside, but actually getting involved in business strategy, getting involved in the development of a product. And there's a huge opportunity for, and, and for any, any younger uh people listening to this podcast that um, have a disability, there's a huge opportunity in technology right now to have a voice. Um, and, and we have a thriving um, tech sector, Kitchener-Waterloo, Ottawa, uh, Vancouver. And I think those voices are, are going to be needed. I mean, Vic, we have an aging population. We have one in five Canadians with some form of disability. And not seniors, I'm not, again, allowed to use that word, but older engaged adults are going to start really using these tech products. And how often have we all been in the position of being a, a tech support person for our, for our older parents, for, our, for older loved ones? It's, it's constant. But if products are more accessible for people with disabilities, then they're actually going to be more usable for all of us, including older engaged adults. Joel, if anyone listening to this wants to get in touch with you and get your thoughts on things or maybe even work with you, what's the best way to reach you? You can, you can email me at my personal email. It's uh, joeldemby at gmail.com. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm trying to get a little bit more active on there. And you know what, Vic? I, and, and one final thing. I just joined, uh, what's this audio? You'll, you'll probably have to, is it Clubhouse? I've heard of Clubhouse. I haven't jumped on it yet. I just jumped on Clubhouse and I have no idea what I'm doing. So I, you <laughs> probably can find me on Clubhouse. I was inspired by Elon Musk and uh, I, I want to see what's up there too. But I, I, it sounds like Reddit, but like the audio version of Reddit, which is actually Vic, really accessible in so many ways for, for folks who might not be able to click through all of those subreddits. And now maybe there's a way to make, it, make Clubhouse more accessible for, for people with visual disabilities. Well, you mentioned Twitter. You didn't give us your Twitter handle. You got to tell us that. Oh, sorry. It's at Joel Demby. So all lowercase, J-O-E-L-D-E-M, M as in Mary, B-E. Joel, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. We are going to jump to rapid fire questions. This was something that I initiated with my guests, I'd say probably about 10 episodes ago. So going back to episode 15, we didn't get a chance to do that. So I'm very happy that we get to pick this up. So are you ready? I'm nervous. Uh, don't be don't be nervous at all. Okay, I'm ready. So the tennis win that you are most proud of? The final one, the uh, the 2015 bronze medal uh, at the Pan Am Games, right in my backyard in Toronto. Your favorite movie? Why don't we say The Matrix? Because we've just talked about technology. Oh, nice answer. Okay. Wait, wait. Which one? The first, second, or third one? 
or the Animatrix or? There is only one Matrix film, as you know. There's, there's not the second or third. We don't talk about those ones. Your favorite video game? The first one I ever played, Super Mario Brothers. Classic. If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you? My wife thinks Rami Malek would be the ideal uh, jewel to play me in a film. Or um, Daniel Radcliffe. Um, I like, uh, I like the, who plays Spider-Man, uh, the young Spider-Man. Tom Holland? Yes. I, why don't we say him, the younger version, when I was playing tennis? Uh, I want Tom Holland. You know what? I got to side with your wife, though. If you, um, I, I mean, Remy Malik. now that I think about it, yeah, I cast him tomorrow. <laughs> well, he better, uh, he needs, uh, I hope he can play tennis. Your favorite book? Oh, good one. Um, you know what? I'll, uh, I'll do an older one here, To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, I, I think back to that book all the time, especially lately, for a number of reasons. But what a good book and touching on how we kind of judge people, but not really get to know them sometimes. And um, there's so many other messages that are so relevant in today, uh, into today. And um, what a great film, too that it turned into, but uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Your favorite song? Song 2. By, By Blur? Blur? Yes. That, I still, I know that's, you know, it turned itself into a commercial <laughs> more than an actual song, but um, it, it had, for that just time period, there's something about that Big Shiny Tunes song that- <laughs> Yes, Big um, Shiny Tunes 2 or 3, it, I think it, it was. Yes, it, it's not even the song, but it's the time of my life where I was starting to get into music and then, you know, I got into Britpop and I don't know, that song was kind of my conduit into it. Okay. This isn't on the rapid fire list, but is there a, like, did you, before, uh, before a tournament or a match, would you put your headphones on and just kind of lose yourself to a song to get yourself hyped up for the match? I've heard a lot I of athletes do that. I should have, <laughs> okay. I should have, I was, uh, I would be talking to people. I, I was distracted. I, um, I probably did all of the things you shouldn't. And yet Somehow, in the, towards the latter part of my career, I developed sort of a, a quiet routine, meaning no music, no anything, just breathing. Best advice you have ever received? To be confident in myself, to not care about what other people think about me, or to, to just believe in myself and to, uh, to work hard. I, I know that's a lot there, but it, and it all came from my dad, who, um, who, who passed away a few years ago, and I think about him all the time and miss him and... He gave me so much confidence and, and tools, and, and, and my mom was a huge part of that as well. But, you know, I miss my dad, and he was Mr. Confident. He, he, he you know, gave me, um, you know, my start. He drove me to all my wheelchair tennis tournaments, and he was really my, uh, you know, my, my guru when it came to, you know, personal growth. If you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would it be? Breathe. I... Uh, I didn't, I didn't breathe enough. <laughs> I know that's, I know that's a weird uh, answer, but I, I, I cannot tell you Vic how important it is to just take breaks, to pause, to breathe, to really focus on doing literally nothing. And I was addicted to always doing something to the point of exhaustion, uh, even when I needed a break. So I, I would tell 25, 26 year old Joel, getting more involved in the wheelchair tennis scene to breathe, to meditate, to take time into the day to just look after yourself and uh, enjoy the ride. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? 
I'd probably be coaching. I, I, I felt for a time that being in sport was my calling. I mean, that's how we met. I was taking sports management. I was going to be involved in some element of influence, um, being a coach or getting involved in, in sports administration. And so if I wasn't where I was today, I hope I, I would be still involved in sport. And who knows, maybe I'll, you know, regroup when I'm 50 and compete for the, uh, for the Paralympics at that date and, and some other futuristic sport uh, using my Oculus Quest 2 in, in VR. Who knows, Vic? <laughs> Joel, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for coming back on. Thanks. Thanks uh, for having me again. It was a pleasure, Vic. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.